Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today, our guest to share a bit of their Twin Cities history is Diane Aldous. Diane is mostly known to me more behind the scenes with dance, arts educators in town, as a huge curriculum integrator of arts programs in the public school system. With a professional dance career traveling across the nation and Europe, and not too long ago awarded by the Minnesota Society of Health and Physical Educators, SHAPE, Honor Award for Dance, recognizing her outstanding services and contributions in the promotion of dance. I cannot agree more. I'm so excited to learn more about her dance career and all that Diane contributes to our community. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. It's really great to be here. And I um, had some fun just listening back to the beginnings of some earlier studio stories as well. Oh, cool. So it's great fun to kind of go back a little bit in time and months and in many, many years and decades to hear some things again. Yeah, it's been, I, I'm just loving it. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> that um, and so many things I don't know um, it's it's so great to have you here with us and I the big question we always ask uh, how did you begin your dance career where did where did it all begin for you well it all started in Texas with being really pigeon-toed really turned in terrible ankles um, I was supposed to wear these hideous orthotic shoes which are you know for someone who's 11 and 12 that's traumatic Mm. And shoes do play a big part in my life throughout my life, even though I ended up mostly dancing barefoot. But um, finally, the physician at one point said, well, just send her to ballet. Maybe that'll help. So I started taking ballet from Miss Bunny in a, her garage studio. Uh, Miss Bunny. Miss Bunny, yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, this was Texas. So yeah, yes. I think I had 15 minutes of ballet, 15 baton, 15 tap. Um, and then, you know, I do remember the first time performing, ironically, the song is back in the news again. It was Chula Clark's downtown, you know, with the Nashville Mm. bombing, but that was the first song I remember performing to and just being so terrified and exhilarated and loving it because I was so shy. I never talked. I stuttered when I talked, but dance was a way to say something. So that's where it started. Wow. Wow. My sister had those same, uh, she actually ended up wearing the boots for a little bit. The pigeon toe. Yeah. But then went into dance as well. Okay. Thank goodness. (laughs) Well, very cool. So where did, did you dance through high school then and continue? Yeah. I danced through high school and, you know, changed teachers. I got to work with a, a small regional ballet company. And which I continued doing in a different city all through college. Um, and finally, I think when I was when I was in my senior year in college, I quit to go dance in Europe. Oh wow! Um, so <laughs> it took me a couple of decades to get back. So the first place I was really immersed in dance was in Germany. Um, you know, with the opera houses, and then that's where I kind of discovered modern dance. So were you doing ballet? I was a ballet dancer then with a a brief, brief forays into like fire baton and 
karate in the off seasons when there was no dance going on in the summers. I'd go do competition karate and I actually got very good and was nationally ranked. Oh my gosh, you're so well-rounded. Well, <laughs> like, no. Those are all the things I wanted to do. It's so funny. I well, never did karate though. Huh. Well, you'd figure the footwork would be good, but I think it was that slightly cutthroat nature of ballet. Although, you know, I had such great colleagues and teachers in the ballet world growing up when I did. They were um, Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet, you know, expats. Mm. Settled into the States and would smoke incessantly during rehearsals and mutter quite a bit and roll their eyes at our flat Texas pronunciations of Padishah and Glissad and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. So you, and you got to do a little bit of modern dance in Germany then? Yeah. And fun. missed the States and missed, you know, Mexican food and came back and just began a few years of very nomadic you know, work in Houston and San Francisco, briefly in Minneapolis. Um, um, just kind of following the dance muse. And, and I was lucky there was always something, someone, something I saw or someone whose work I liked or a company I liked and an opportunity to do some stuff with them. Very nice. And yeah. And what were some of these names of companies or... Oh, let's see. When I was in Texas, I came back to work with Houston Contemporary Dance Theater. And from there came up to this Minneapolis briefly to when Nancy Hauser was holding a summer workshop. Billy Siegenfeld was here. Ah. And then I went out to San Francisco for a bit. And then back in Minneapolis, um, at first I was at the Guild of Nancy Hauser's company briefly. I was never in the company, but taking classes there. And then Caravan Dance Collective was thriving. So I went over there to work with them for a bit and ended up joining Ken DeLapp and the Ozone Dance Company in there when they had just started up. Oh, I did not know that, Diane. Oh, yeah. It's like oh, that my was, gosh. That was like 75 or 76. So, and... Um, you know, at that point, I mean, it's such an amazing time to make opportunities because we were able to earn like these couple of few hundred dollars here and there and get some commissions. And early on, Ken made the commitment that we're going to be like, a, he kept saying a real dance company. <laughs> so we'd, you know, do other jobs at night or in the morning and we rehearse in the afternoons. Um, Theater in the Round let us use their afternoon rehearsal space, which is essentially a the second floor with no windows. It was pitch black except for the lights. <laughs> and we'd go there every day for four hours in the afternoon and then take the bus or drive as a group across town to take ballet class from Sylvia Bolton at Children's Theater Company. My so, gosh. What other dancers uh, were in that with okay. you? Ken, of course. Um, Ron Liebeck. Ron Liebeck. Ann Gunderson, who lived, went on to work on Broadway and tours and at the Guthrie, and she's in Florida now. And then Kathy Gazioritz, who is mm. here still and one of my best friends. Yeah. And then Carol, and I'm blanking on Carol's last name, but um, it's four women and two men. Um, kind of a ragtag assortment of backgrounds, and Ken was just blasting away and choreographing and being very you know, inventive in terms of reusing pieces and 
reassembling some dances into newer sections and things like that and experimenting a lot. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like in in these conversations I've had that Ozone was just like, oh, what is this? You know, Uh like it really shot out onto the scene and had this major excitement around it. Yeah, it was very exciting. And we had like big crowds. I remember performing at Northrop. um, And this is one of their free summer series. So it's not like 5,000 people bought tickets. But apparently 5,000 plus came in and then were sitting in the aisles and the fire marshal stopped the whole thing and wouldn't let anybody go and nobody would leave. I mean, that was it. Until Hmm. Jeff Bartlett, who was our tech guy, had the bright idea to turn on the house lights and then people get up and the ones in the house walked out. So once we got down to like the 5,000 minimum or maximum, we were able to go on with the show with um, the Wolverines performing live music. And see, that was another thing we did which is not unusual because Hauser's company had such great associations with musicians and all kinds of artists. But we worked with live music when we could and um, did some great environmental pieces that get Normandale when they opened the Japanese gardens and Mm. MCAD when it opened up. So really experimenting with a lot of things that took off in more sophisticated ways and were probably being done in other places and cities anyway in the 70s. But it really got to be um, our laboratory and playground. That's so cool. There's a lot I don't, I've not heard of there. And yeah. and to have that live music, obviously, I mean, that, that time frame, of course, just seems so idyllic. Idyllic, yeah. is that a good word? Yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. Incredible. And yeah, like live music, I feel, is always something we desire and so difficult in present day to to be able to get to do. Yeah. Have that funding and, and such. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I sometimes, once in a while, I later in later years, I'd be talking to, you know, dancers at the U or other groups and saying things like, you know, yeah, like I actually made $50 a week as a dancer for however many weeks it took to get unemployment. And that felt like plenty and enough. <laughs> but at that point, I could rent an apartment with a roommate that was pretty decent for around 50 or 60 my share. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, I said it's the economies were different and people spend now a whole lot more on just the basics like food and and housing. Yeah, yeah. So is that when and how you landed in Minnesota, or did you venture yeah. away again? No, that, that was, I was here for a couple of years, two or three years around then, working with Ozone, Caravan for a year or so, and then Ozone. And then I got, you know, the New York bug, the hijira. Uh, during that time, Julie Ray Smith who was with the Cunningham Company. Cunningham Company came here. We loved them. Fallon got to go to classes. Viola Farber came in later. But Julie Ray Smith married Nigel Redden. And so she stayed here and began teaching classes. So I got to have, we got to have these fabulous classes by a really great teacher. And I wanted to do more. So I left for New York in 79, I think, and stayed there three or four, three or four years. But still coming back to, let's see, I choreographed summer stock in Duluth sometimes. And then I worked in Boston with New England dinosaur, Toby Armour, and those folks 
Hmm. Um, and then Linda Shapiro was continuing to work and Lee Dillard and putting on concerts here. So I'd come back for, you know, like a month or two, six weeks, eight weeks at a time. And in New York, I got to dance with Pat Catterson and Andy DeGroat and a lot of really cool downtown people. But never got in the Cunningham Company. I was asked to take company class. I got to do that for a few years. And that was, you know, pretty sublime to get a chance to work with Merce in that way or to be in. I was in that early kind of practice company he had hmm. um, where he'd try out some ideas on us or he would, he would, he would be told quietly on the way out, if you'd like to work on something, Merce is doing something next week in the afternoons. And so, yeah, we'd all show up for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> to be seen and yeah. Yeah. And to actually just learn some things and try things out. I was kind of like, you know, if the company was not around, he wanted some dancers to practice with. Um, That's so cool. And what, what, uh, where was the Cunningham classes here at with oh, Julie were- Ray? With 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 uh, Julie Ray Smith, they were here at ooh Third Avenue South in that next to the little wagon. It was basically a lot. Oh, Palace Theater was there. A um, few other artists. I'm not even sure the building is still there. Two story. I think there was a garage with, below it. Was that with Ozone or? That Irvine? Ozone. We had rehearsals there, and then we got a space in the Wyman Building later. And then that became Xenon's home. So Linda Andrews at that point had a company in a studio. She had the Just Jazz Dancers and then Rezone. No, she didn't have Rezone yet, but she, Ken decided to leave and go to New York. The company split up. And that's also where the early MICA meetings were held, Minnesota Independent Choreographers Alliance. And then Linda Andrews wanted to take over the space and the studios and she merged her two companies into kind of a hybrid jazz modern company called Rezone. But by that point, Ozone had disappeared. It had dissolved. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody had gone different ways in the dance world with about, you know, half of us ending up in New York or in the, on the East Coast. Okay. So it, did, it sounds like you kind of started going down this path a little bit with what the kind of the dance scene was like. Yeah. Uh, here at that time can you go a little further oh into yeah that? it sounds it was... like you were able to bebop around a little bit mm. which seems a little uh different from what i've heard from a lot of other people oh, in a well, way yeah but see i didn't grow up here i came <laughs> here so that makes a difference um no it was very you worked with your company or your choreographer and you didn't cross around. You didn't mix around. I remember um, coming to the Guild of Performing Arts, Nancy Hauser's company and studio and taking, you know, fabulous classes and workshops and everybody smoked there a lot, but the place, and they talked a lot. But I remember one time I pulled out my point shoes just to work on some releves and the place just went shock dead still. (laughs) And then I remember asking one of the company members, well, where can I go take a good ballet class? And she said, well, there are no good ballet classes. (laughs) But I did end up at Minnesota Dance Theater, fortunately. But, um, you know, I mean, Ozone was a bit of a mix in the sense that I probably had had the most ballet training. The others had had a lot of jazz training. Um, but I've always liked doing different things. It didn't seem unusual to me to be working in different genres. 
Um, and even later when I joined New Dance Ensemble and was more involved in body, mind, centering and somatic work, I remember Linda Shapiro would just roll her eyes and say, you can't just go on the floor and release. We have to dance in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that has to do a little bit with your, the Europe kind of oh, influence, maybe. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it could be just, um, I mean, I really liked so much about the values and living there and just feeling like it was a really civilized place. And, um, and I, in later years, I went back, you know, to do some teaching and do things like that, primarily in Switzerland and the Alsace region. But Feeling like I was in a place where, you know, the arts were respected, artists were respected, there was support for the work then. And this was, you know, 70s. So a lot of the dancers came from the States or from Britain. You know, the training was not always consistent in the state academies there. Hmm. So we had pretty international companies. And sadly enough, you know, with all the different languages, English was the most common language. So that's what we used in rehearsals and mostly for get togethers. I learned a bit of German, a bit of French. Um, I know how to teach tap dancing in French. I can do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think it was just that that combined with just the wanderlust from dance, always kind of seeing something I wanted to do. And when I came to Minneapolis, um, the first time was for a few months, but I did come back thinking it was, and I stayed for a few years during the ozone time and then went to New York. Um, and when New Dance Ensemble formed, I came back to join that company with two suitcases, figuring the money would run out in six months. So I wasn't really planning on moving back, but I, I inadvertently did. <laughs> and is that what kept you, kept you here then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so that. cool. Yeah, that and the fact that New Dance really, you know, took off under Lee Dillard and Linda Shapiro's guidance. Um, and, you know, they had a brilliant idea. They were smart in the people they picked to come choreograph and work with us. We had some amazing dancers. Um, Christopher Watson was in the first company, Vito Goler, Susan Chilcote, Kelly McDonald joined soon after. Um, Christopher, by Will Swanson, Christopher Watson, trying to go, though, and Madeline Dean. Yeah. Oh. And then later on, Stephen Yogi Roof joined us and some other dancers. So it was Incredible. really, it was kind of like a huge playground because, you know, I'd go to an audition for David Gordon in New York because I wanted to dance with him. And there'd be like two or 300 people there in this warehouse. And he would say, okay, I want you to like just turn once and go slowly to the floor. That was the audition. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I flunked that one. I think I flunked all of, all of them. But, you know, once I was in New Dance, we'd had these wonderful people come and set pieces on us. And so then, I yes, I did get to work with David Gordon, which is one of my dreams. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't. I mean, how fun or exciting to be part of. Like, that's the beginning of New Dance Ensemble here. Yeah. Then. Yeah, like, it was really them, yeah. Beginnings are always, well, there's beginnings, and then there's this great period of you love it and you know what you're doing, and then there's the tantalizing what's next always. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think the beginning part and the loving it lasted for about 
five years and then in that sixth year pretty much all of us left in the same year at different stages it was just time go on and then the company was going to enter a new phase anyway of becoming more like a workshop a laboratory Mm -hmm. And I do remember our, Ju our Julie, who was our managing director at the time, came and talked to the dancers and said, well, you know, we've had a, a great time. We've got to go. We've gotten to go to Worthington and Mankato and Paris and New York. And we're not going to do any of that. We're going to primarily focus on rehearsing and developing work. And we were performers. We wanted to perform and tour. So for some of us, it was just a change in direction. And new dance became an essential part of kind of the, the laboratory of, of work developing. But that was not where I wanted to go. So where did you go? <laughs> Let's see at that point, new dance. I think, you know, at that point I began teaching some in the schools and also less, and at that point I was in my late 30s, 37, 38. I was not so much interested in performing full blast anymore. I was working with Georgia Stevens, doing some of my own work. Um, really enjoyed all of that a lot. There wasn't like a set company or thing I wanted to do at that point, which is kind of good. I mean, I feel lucky that at a point when I was, without realizing it, getting a little tired of the, and it is a daily, you know, hours a day of rehearsal and classes, six days a week. Mm. I was getting a little burned out by that. And the euphoria, the great joy of creating work and performing it and sharing it with people was still very meaningful, but less, less of a balance to the work that goes into making stuff. Yeah. So. And so you were making your own work as well. Where were you uh, having that work performed and such? Oh, at the Walker... Um, Space Space, there were a lot of, oh, the Southern for sure, the Guthrie too, um, the Dance Alliance. I think somewhere during that point it switched from MICA to the Dance Alliance was huge in terms of producing work and beginning to secure more grant money for dancers. Um, and then um, I was very involved. I was the chairman of the board at one point as we were facing this horrendous deficit. And at that point we decided to, take over 6A as a studio space and a presenting space. So we became presenters as well. And 6A is now MDT Studio 6A, but it was a performing space as well. I have many memories of that space. Yeah. Oh, my, me too. And then all oh. those great memories in there is of taking class and all the seeing things and performing. Um, but during the, the 90s, you know, I got married to Tom Cantock, who's a music, dance musician, we had a child. It seems like the early 90s were kind of a blur because Sam was a child who slept very little. I remember talking to a pediatric sleep disorder specialist saying he only sleeps about four hours out of our 24. Wow. And the doctor said, well, he's perfectly healthy and he's thriving. It's just some children do not sleep very much. <laughs> You're like, but I do. I need a little yeah. more. <laughs> huh. Yeah. But again, I was teaching dance at the U and then teaching at Breck School for a while um, and still able to find time to do projects of my own and work with you know, such a, a great, you know, a lot of wonderful people. Georgia Stevens comes to mind, for example. Um, Christopher Watson was not yet back in town to be doing a lot of work or yet. 
and just various pickup projects. So I kind of enjoyed again that chance to do different things. So nice. So so was it the teaching that you started then diving further into at that point, you feel? Yeah, yeah. And I I do remember early on teaching looking at the seventh grade class, and I realized it was this was like October. And I realized, and this was, you know, they weren't all there because they loved dance. They had probably, most of them been kicked out of visual art for breaking stuff. They couldn't sing. They they forgot their instruments. They acted out too much on stage, so they got put in dance instead. Hmm. But um, I had, I remember early on one, of, not Colleen Callahan, but another dance educator, Nancy Marcy, just said something so profound to me. And she said, you know, you got to respect their music. And it was this insight into kind of meeting kids where they were and not being so much of a, a traditional dancer. I mean, if you're a dance teacher, you're in the studio and you're waiting for people to come in and you're warming up a little bit to get ready. And I began to start just standing at the door to say hi to kids as they walked in. And that turned out to have a huge effect on them. Mm. And they'd have some ideas, and I would encourage them to make their own dances, you know, as well as my own, learn my own. And at the U, I was fortunate to, I didn't teach in the main program, but in the evening program. So a lot of people who were true avocational dancers or who wanted to get into the day program. And my God, one of the hardest things was always the the days or two after the auditions where they made it, which was great, or they didn't. Mm. And it would be, you know what? It, you're going to be a dancer or not. This has nothing to do with it. You just won't be it, go through it this way, this year, this time. So it was fun to, again, just, I enjoyed teaching. I like seeing change and teaching is a way of supporting and provoking change in someone. So I, that's, I think, what I really love about it. Yeah, I mean, and you really have just been so involved in it i'm in listening to you diane i'm just like amazed by there's so much i don't know about you which is <laughs> what i love about this but yeah. it, it's also a little embarrassing oh and, you know the history you know, i mean it's like the stories that's why i'm so glad you're doing this the stories live in the people and it's sort of startling to me to, to look back and realize how many years and decades i've been here now and, you know, that I've been fortunate to kind of, you know, do new things and dance all along the way at a, at a pace to where I could really savor them and appreciate stuff. Hmm. Well, yeah. you were, you're incredibly involved and, and dancing and so much. And it makes so much sense to me that you're exposing all these, you know, students to dance then in the school system. Like it just, you have that knowledge and experience. And I guess in my mind, you know, I got here in 89. So (laughs) in my mind, you're always, oh, she's an educator. You know what I mean? Like I even foolishly (laughs) separated those things, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, I mean, I, I heard your name. Uh, I knew who you were always in that capacity, I yeah. guess. So, so I, I put you in that 
box, I guess. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. No, no, no. No, I, I just. Like, I was never the kind of dancer people. I, I remember, like, especially in new dance, we'd come out and people would come thronging to Will and some of the others, and they would, you know, I loved your performance. You were brilliant in that. And then they'd come to me and say, that last piece was so weird. It reminded me of my ex-wife. And <laughs> <laughs> so they would, they saw the dance. They saw the dance. They didn't see me in it. They saw what I could show them in the dance hmm. and take them into themselves. So I, I always felt like I was kind of a chameleon in many ways. And that's um, such a great trait to have. Yeah. 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 Well, tell me more about, because I, I, I do know how involved you were with like getting the based uh, body action uh -huh. space time energy uh, into the Minnesota state standards for the arts and, and where that kind of evolved for you and all your teaching and how you got to that point. Okay. Yeah, that, that whole, and you know, really Pam Paulson was the, the main muscle person in terms of getting the art standards in Judith Myers you know, written into state statute. But I do remember at one particular time, we encouraged them, and I was working at Perpich at the time, to include, to specify body action, space, time, energy. And there was this upcry that the word body was too controversial in state language, which I thought was remarkable. Like, the fear that the bill might be rejected because it had the word body in it. And I'm going, I think that's crazy. And I wrote some letters and called legislators and and basically said, let's just put it in. It belongs there and let's see. And, you know, the government didn't come crashing down and the bill got passed, so it was fine. But it was back then, you know, people in the schools were really careful to call it movement and not dance because that was too inflammatory for a long time. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like now the... The, the nomenclature in school is to talk about mindful movement or mindfulness, but not yoga or meditation, which are too esoteric and possibly suspect. Huh. So there's always been this kind of softening of the language and of couching movement as being less threatening than dance, which even when I was teaching dance years ago, when I first started, I don't think kids were dismayed by the word at all. Dance was becoming a cool thing. Yeah. You know? But uh, I don't know. I, I've always felt like dance and theater are so underrepresented in the schools. We have, you know, still visual arts and music programs are under threat, see, staffing and funding siege. But dance and theater have always been very suspect. And I think you know, dance deals with the body, and that is a suspect and untrusted momentum in the education world. And theater deals with ideas and sometimes with sedition. <laughs> so these are not things that are welcome in most institutions. Yeah, yeah. In that cloud of, you know, I, I definitely was dancing in high school, and, and my parents are like, well, that's not a career. <laughs> You know, and even if it were a career, you're, you're not going to be able to make a living, you know, Yeah. so that even that stigma with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and I felt like, you know, yes, I'm absolutely a champion of dance and theater, but it's of something deeper, which is that kind of full human beingness of ideas and impact 
and being able to make something as opposed to, you know, produce something according to a kit. Yeah. Which is kind of one of my early peeves about the early steam movement when it started appearing maybe a decade ago. I'd go to these baker spaces and steam labs that people were raving about, and there was pretty much no A, you know, for the arts. But it was a whole gorgeous play play warehouse full of kits. I'm going, well, that's like not creating. You're following directions and experimenting, but you've got the pieces are in front of you, and you're going to have to just make it according to what it's supposed to be. And that, to me, is not creativity. Hmm. Tell me, tell me what STEAM is. Oh, science. I'm going to act like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. So it's been a, a really important push, although I don't know why social studies and English language arts would be left out. But it's been kind of a great techno push in education for at least a decade or so now. Um, and I see some brilliant ideas in it. Um, saw a great project at the arts high school years and years ago where the students were painting self-portraits of themselves as self-portraits merged with one of the chemical elements. So they Mm. had to like really study like iron or magnesium and bring all those qualities to the portrait of that element. It was just awesome. It was so cool. It was like totally new imagined superheroes in many ways with the dark and light sides of those qualities and superpowers inherent in the portraits. Hmm. Like to me, that is a brilliant use of steam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it just makes sense to me. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for everyone dancing. I want everyone to dance. And it's, it is because of that, you know, full body awareness thinking, of different ways of thinking about something yeah. or like entry points into something and to physicalize it makes you perhaps think of it, think of a math problem differently or, you know, mm-hmm. the use of language. Um, so how many, I know there's been so many different programs uh, with the school system. Are there are specific programs through the years that you feel like we should maybe look back on, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but yeah, I'll let, I'll let you name some programs perhaps. Well, you know, and what I know best is the dance programs. Um, certainly I think the dance programs have grown over the years. I don't know that we have seen a huge growth, but more like just a steady one. And then arts integration, arts magnet schools. I, I'm still working in Anoka Hennepin schools as an arts curriculum integrator at the elementary magnet school, the elementary arts specialty school. Um, so Anoka Hennepin has got several really outstanding arts programs in their schools. And by arts, I mean including dance and theater and media arts as well. There are a handful across the state primarily in the metro area of arts specialty or magnet schools. Rockford comes to mind, Moreland, um, various programs. And it's always because there's usually a principal or a leader who is passionate about the arts and willing to budge the schedule and make room for it, especially with arts integration work. There's been funding 
for different arts programs and arts magnets, it comes and goes. Um, we're in a, I hope at least a stasis right now that we're able to maintain the programs we have. Hmm. Although like at the, right now in Okahennepin schools, the seventh through 12th graders are in distance learning. The elementary schools, actually six through 12 elementary schools have been in pure distance learning and then start coming back in two weeks. And then in four weeks, the third to fifth graders. So I am actually, I've been actually back dealing with seventh graders again, teaching a couple of sections of digital productions. So um, teaching kids without cameras and Chromebook, without cameras, without videos, without computers, without Photoshop, without Illustrator. They have their Chromebooks at home. They're sitting on a couch with a Chromebook, which is secondhand or third hand, and may or may not have the most primitive things installed, but um, I've been showing them how to make animated GIFs and work with digital tools. And I think there's something brilliant about being able to take something. See, this is the dancer in me. What is What are the realities of what's around me? I have, in this case, I have seventh graders with Chromebooks. And what can we make that would make life a little better and more worthwhile and be interesting? So I'm kind of just mining the Google apps and some fairly simple, you know, tech tricks to get the kids to make stuff. When I mentioned making GIF files, they want to know why they can't just send their video to Giphy and have Giphy make them a GIF. I'm going, because you lose all control. You have no creative control over the content. That's why I'm teaching you how to do this from scratch, either drawing or using the tools or shooting photos and then creating the images yourself that you then turn into a GIF, which is like a little tiny short movie. Yeah, I need to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, hello. <laughs> oh, you know, and, I, and meanwhile, I'm going, actually, I don't have a license in this. I mean, I mean my license is in dance and theater K-12. And then I was blithely assured that, you know, you're qualified to teach this. I'm going, okay, fine. So there is a curriculum, all of which is useless because we don't have the, the cameras and the video camcorders, and we don't have the computers at school. So I'm basically reinventing and rewriting ways of, you know, telling visual stories. Mm. And it is incredibly tiring. I think any teacher will tell you that right now. Yeah. It's also exhilarating and I'm learning new stuff. And, you know, that's the fun part is I'm learning new stuff. Sometimes at nine or 10 o'clock at night, I'm still learning new stuff. And I think it's that curiosity for sure. That is just so necessary. Always, always, discovering and learning new things yeah yeah for sure i wanted to know about um like the public arts program which used to happen in the the uh parks and rec oh programs and things like that as well is you know that's interesting i was thinking back about you know you'd ask in one of your questions about just performing highlights and I flash back on the city children's nutcracker yes which yeah. was one of those projects um, where I think it was ballet arts Minnesota had a partnership with the parks and recs to teach ballet classes in the rec centers all over the cities and then they would bring the kids downtown to the studios in uh, Hennepin Center for the Arts, 
to take ballet classes with accompanist and actually on a wooden floor, not a cement floor. And then the kids were in Sooty Children's Nutcracker. They were the rats and the mice and, and all the, the great little crazy characters. But that was one example of just the, the city parks and recreations programs. And I have a hunch that was going on with music and visual arts as well. And I got involved with it in mid 2000, 2005, 6, 7, something like that, because I've been, I love that, I mean, I grew up on the Nutcracker as a ballet cat. Yeah, yeah. And I got the urge to do it again. So I actually went up to Body Mathis, and I rarely do I ask for a role, but I said, you know, could I be in the Nutcracker sometime, like, you know, a, a society person dancing or whatever? And then she, Talked to me a day or so later and said, well, we need a rat queen. Do you want to be the rat queen? And I said, oh. oh, my God, yes, I'll be the rat queen. <laughs> you were the rat queen? Yes, in one of those classic productions. I did it for a few years and loved it. Um, fun. I mean, being a villainess is always so much more fun. <laughs> and that was during a period when Bonnie wanted to add a new part in the somewhere in the end of the first act where... I was on stilts and other performers like the Droogs were on stilts. So I had to learn how to stilt walk. So wow. Bonnie Mathis, incredible ballet ballerina, taught me how to stilt walk. I'd go downtown to MDT and she'd be rehearsing some section and then I'd strap on the stilts and then I'd walk along the wall. She'd hold my hand on one side. I'd touch the wall on the other and start to take some steps and I'd grab the bar when I needed to. So I learned how to stilt walk for that part, which I loved. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that's the Danny Ezrelo. Uh, no, he was not. I don't. No, no, he was not involved with that one. I. Oh yes, he was. That was his original choreography. Yes. Okay, but I'm gonna is, I'm gonna research it myself yeah, again. But but it had been established for a while, and you know, I loved being in that show. I loved the droogs that those sort of macabre comic characters that they added. And just the pageantry of ballet, but also all these fabulous kids who are just so thrilled to be down at the State Theater and their stage mamas who knew exactly what they were doing and kept the tight mm. ship to running. And then Derek, who was like the, the leader of the whole kids thing. They, they adored him. They adored Derek Phillips. Oh, Derek Phillips. Yeah. Of course. You know, it's so interesting to me because I feel like there's something that needs to happen with that concerted effort mm. to kind of inspire and bring bigger light to it. I feel because I feel like here I am going on opinion path here, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I feel like there's, you know, dance is happening. The arts are happening at community centers and public, um, spaces like that the the parks and rec program but i feel like you know it, it it's a good and necessary thing but i question if it's a little willy-nilly or not uh not exposing to to the greaterness of the fuller community yeah. and I, yeah. I feel like that concerted effort really was like wow this is really a big thing you know, and, and something that I'm really excited about and, you know, like gives a little bit more spotlight to it, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. 
maybe it it's, could happen again. <laughs> it is, and it's the chance as this, like, you know, sort of, you know, punk fourth or fifth grader, the chance to connect to a bigger story and history than yourself. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes a visiting artist come in, coming in can ignite that, going to see an actual dance performance um, or theater performance can let them see what that's all about. But there's something about being in the working environment where people make art and practice it and value it that kids don't get a chance to do much of. Um, there was a program years ago, Urban Arts, where high school kids could go to school in the morning and then in the afternoon, they spent the afternoons at Minnesota Dance Theater or the Minneapolis Institute for Arts or I'm guessing the Orchestra Hall but they actually, the high school kids spent time there taking classes and basically as apprentices. Yeah, Zoe Seely chatted about this. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Like, where is that? Why can't we get that back? <laughs> okay, so, so like right now, if someone did the math, if you were to take the average, like the, the, arts, the academic standards from five fairly typical states, and figure that you mushed it all together, and if you spent 15 minutes teaching each benchmark, of which is completely not enough, a benchmark is a major piece of learning. If you only spent 15 minutes on it in a kid's life, they would be in school from the age of six to 23 with no summers off. So there's a huge amount of required content, and everybody wants their content to be taught, yeah. prioritized, and tested. So it's really tough now. The, the schools that are doing the arts, like the one I work out, it takes real dedication to kind of be able to chisel and wean down the required work to meaningful work that's really meaningful, and then to include the arts as well. So I don't know. And we certainly, and here's where I veer off in my path, we have not had much help over the past four years in any way at all with education or the arts. Yeah. Yeah. So how many how many days? I think a few more days. <laughs> yes. Oh, we can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, Diane, what what uh what is next for you? I mean, I know there's so much focus right now with virtual learning. Yeah. Um is there a way to look ahead of that or you know, it... I think that virtual learning will continue to be a part of it and when schools, when kids went home last spring, I was at that point working in the for the third year with a wonderful residency project with Z Puppets Rosenschnapps on mm. Monkey Mind Pirates, which is a tale of a sailor who goes to sea and the Monkey Mind Pirates overtake his ship, and Ansel is very distractible. He's the monkey who is very ADHD. <laughs> Winston is quite depressed and morose and Lady Bronte is a drama queen and so in the story, in the play and in the workshops kids and participants learn how to team these monkeys with yoga and with visualization and with singing songs and playing theater games hmm. so it's a real arts and mindfulness residency but um we shut down, so we began. I began working with Chris and Sherry right away to not only put workshops online as people were doing last spring, but they 
they took the one hour show and took it down to 20 minutes, which is about, no, maybe like 18, which is about what you do in going from real time to video production hmm. of a live event. And then we got the kids and their parents to make videos at home of the kids singing a song. And we sent them all sailor hats, you know, or doing moves from a, 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 the own calming song. And using some green screen technology and video, managed to put all the kids in scenes in the video on the deck of the ship. Amazing. And they were all together, which thrilled me so much more than seeing all the little honeycombs of the Zoom meetings with each person by themselves singing. You know, we yeah. had the kids all moving all together. So that kind of stuff is still going to be a part of it. I mean, and it was like 20 years ago, at least, that Rick Hauser and Nancy Hauser and Marsha Chapman and I and others began tying on to the old T1, the telephone lines, to teach dance hundreds of miles away, like in Winona or up north. Hmm. So that was 20 years ago I've been involved with distance learning. Wow. It's not, you know, and, and Rick and Nancy Hauser and Marsha and the Performance Lab are all about just putting it together, finding out what you needed to do, looking for ways to kind of communicate through the screens and through the lenses. So I feel like that's what we still have to do with distance learning. Yeah, I know the Coles Center has oh, that yeah. yes, virtual learning, which has yeah. been really, really great, I'm oh, sure. They do incredible work. And I've you know, been friends with the education director, with Jesse Fett for sure for years now, but also with the former ones as well. And I was yeah. around with all that stuff getting started up. Yeah, I was one of the test teachers mm. there in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, how, how do you do this? Yeah, um, yeah. Such a, yeah. a great learning experience. Yeah. And so important, I feel like, you know, with dance, uh, oh gosh, so you think you can dance and, yeah. you know, the TV shows, I feel like there was this big surge of uh, physical education classes yeah. that I was teaching to yeah. virtually, which was really, really fun. And, and you can feel that energy through the screen. That's what's yes. really great. Um, so, wow, very cool. Was there anything that I I didn't think of to ask you? Do you have a memory of dancing for New Dance Ensemble or anything you wanted to share? You know, it's funny thinking about ballet arts and stilt walking for the, as the Rat Queen also made me flash to, I think, one of the last projects I was involved in was 2013 with Awfully Sharia when they revived which P-S-S-S-T exclamation point was one of their early shows. But that too involves stilt walking, which I got back right away. In fact, I was really thrilled because uh, when they restaged the production, it was done at the Colds. I had seen the photos, loved the performance. We were in full mask. There was real character work. There were, it was theater. There were sets. There were things to move. There were crazy wild dances. And above all, you know, Paul Furry's incredible knowledge of mask work and physical theater and Jennifer Isles. So mm. that project was one where I got to, you know, I mean, you wouldn't have recognized me. Nobody could. I was in completely in costume and mask. But I learned so much on that. And it was just such a vivid experience of surging into new learning and trying things out and being around 
you know, performers, most of whom were like way younger than me, but brilliant physical theater performers. Um, Andy Cheney, I remember was in the cast. Jim Lieberthal, too. He was another dance oh, dance sure. person there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, Jennifer and Paul. But that was, you know, again, that was a chance to kind of talk about, I thought about being a chameleon. I was completely invisible as a person, as a recognizable person dancer in that, but I was the character. Hmm. And I do remember getting on the walls, and I think I was one of the first to be able to step away from the wall because I'd learned how to stilt walk before, and it does come back. Wow. So, Riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was quite fun. And again, the, any, I haven't done really any performing since then, but anything I do, it always has to be about, I guess, the learning as well a chance to live inside a new body and a new, a new, uh, you know, imaginative physicality. Hmm. Nice. Well, so wonderful. Uh, again, I, I, I'm so amazed by all that you did and we're participating in here with ozone and new dance ensemble and, Really, really grateful for all the work that you're doing to get arts integration. My goodness. So thank you for joining us today for Studio Stories. Thank you. It's been great to think about all of this and to kind of rediscover again sort of the passions I have and why it keeps me veering throughout the arts and in education. Again, I'm hmm. interested in stories and I'm interested in change. And both those fields, when done well, provide a lot of both. And you get yeah. to do it with other people. That's one thing I like about it, too. Community, yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful. And I'm lucky to be in a really wonderful one. It's why I accidentally moved back here in 81 or 82 and stayed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Diane. Have a great one. Great. Thanks so much, Matthew. Thanks for joining us today. Chat with Tom Cantor, enthralled with the Nancy Hauser Dance Company, and wowed by Holly Holmes' training from 74 to 76. He's quite the historian himself at the Facebook hub Build of Performing Arts. Go check it out.